Blog Talk Radio. Well, I bet all you people thought I was going to die last week, right, with this terrible, maddening cold slash pneumonia slash respiratory infection I have. Well, guess what? I don't feel that much better. <clears throat> However, I have uh, lost the cough from last week, so uh, I apologize, Mars Roberge. Obviously, we did this lovely interview, and I think I probably hacked my way through half of it. Today, hopefully, we won't have that. And it's also 6 o'clock, which means it's after 5, which means that, well, I can have a little cocktail while I'm chit-chatting away. Because my guess or assertion would be that the lovely Marilyn herself probably would have been having a cocktail sitting around shooting the breeze with a friend. So excited to be hosting Morgan today. I can't even stand it. want to do a really fast reminder because I know he's on hold right now. Two quick things. Tomorrow, don't forget, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time, we're going to be having another, and I'm so excited about this. I love it, love it, love it when I have indie film directors on my show. First of all, because they showcase some of the best talent around. And second of all, their ideas are innovative and interesting, so totally excited. Three o'clock Central Standard Time tomorrow, Leonardo is coming on. He has a sci-fi TV series that he actually is doing an Indiegogo campaign for, and it's called Cyborgs, actually. I've listed the information on my personal page as well as my show page. So Leonardo will be on tomorrow at three o'clock Central Standard Time. And this coming Friday, Bryce is the individual who wrote, he's the director, wrote and directed, yeah, I can't talk tonight. Trick Heads is the name of it. Well, any of you that might be out there who are Jimmy Buffett fans or listen to his music at one point in time in your life, you know that a parrot head is an individual who follows him. So he based an entire documentary going through 35 different cities and towns, filming people who are actual parrot heads. So I'm totally excited to get some time with him. That's 1 o'clock Central Standard Time this coming Friday. So without further ado, let's not keep Morgan holding and get him on the line. We'll start chatting. Hi, Morgan. Hello, how are you doing, Cindy? Um, I'm very nervous. You, uh, anytime I have somebody like you on, I get nervous. You're Canadian. You're a big deal. Oh. Uh, I've seen your pictures, and you look very classic Hollywood. Do you know that? Oh, well, thank you, actually. You're the first person <laughs> to ever say that to me. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, really? Well, look at yourself. I mean, and I don't mean just like the top, because obviously, of course, your lovely bride is on the top of your Facebook page. But you do. You mm-hmm. have that very classic boardwalk empire sort of back in the, the olden days sort of look. Very, very um, – I'll think of the name of it. I'm sure they'll – let me think on it. They'll be well, 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 thank, thank you very much. I should hire you as my, uh, as my manager. Uh, you can pitch me to all the casting directors. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding, right? Well, you know what, though? I'm not going to lie about this, and I'm sure you appreciate this because you're a Maryland fan, so I'm going to suspect that that means that that whole generation, that whole area is as intriguing to you as it is to me. A lot of the older Hollywood, you know, generation is gone, you know, in terms of some of our classic actors. Like I said the other day, I think the closest thing we have to Cary Grant is maybe like a George Clooney. Um, So I guess we should start that as our our basic starting point is um, why do you think that we in terms of filmmakers and society in general how come we're kind of getting away from the older classic more iconic way of doing things and, and starting our own generation of indie films etc do you think that that might be a good way of going in terms of the, the trends and things because we're kind of missing out on still some of the classic cinema do you know what I'm saying uh, I do partially uh, I think to some degree one has to go with the the flow of each generation and uh, what it's what it wants, uh, what it wants to explore uh, mm-hmm. culturally, creatively, personally. Um, I think that with the digital, what I call the digital revolution, there are so many tools available to people at relatively low cost to do pretty high quality productions at a fraction of the cost. Um, mm-hmm. So it's opened the doors to a lot of people now. 
technology alone doesn't necessarily make for awesome movies. Um, but it, it's um, it's giving more independent people uh, the chance to to reach out and actually tell their stories in a way that uh, more people are going to to watch because like it or not, everybody will compare with the big guns out there, the, the big Hollywood right. and Bollywood and, and European filmmakers. They're going to say, well, you know, this is kind of cheesy low quality because it's whatever. It doesn't look like, you know, star Wars or something, but now we can actually, you know, reach that quality. So I think that that is just opening up all kinds of possibilities for people moving away from classic uh, format. I'm not so sure that's happening everywhere, um, but I think it'll come around kind of like bell-bottom jeans. Uh, it'll come back. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I think I, I like to think that Reliving Maryland, our film, will may, may be part of ushering some of that back in. Oh, definitely. You know, in fact, I, I myself have actually penned a screenplay, and it's going to be done actually in all black and white. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Chaplin. I'm a huge fan of black and white. Um, I'm sure you remember Very the good. artist when that came out. Oh, I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I can't even, I'm over the moon about the artist. So I think that cinema like oh, yes. that, even the non-talkies, even in 2017, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's one of the things I thought of when I looked at you. I'm like, he would be a perfect non-speaking actor. Not because I don't like the way you speak, but I'm, I'm like, you know, I bet you could pull off. Do you think you could do that? Pull off an actual non speaking character or have you done that um i've done it in small ways and 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 my wife nadine banville who plays our maryland she would agree uh she's one of my biggest fans um but the closest i've come to that is in my first feature film which is called black coat mob uh, it was inspired inspired by the um, columbine high school shooting and its effect on the goth subculture and there's a scene in there where where I my character he his girlfriend gets killed on a dance floor he's a goth guy and he slowly puts his hand in the, her her pool of blood it's like it's the last time you can touch your essence. And one of my editors said, you're a really good hand actor. He said, kind of half jokingly, but there's something in, I guess, in my physicality that I just, I was trained to use my whole body as my instrument. And it's not just my face or what you see on the camera. It's it's the mm-hmm. whole body. So I you put my emotions into my hand. Uh, so... I think that's a good indicator. Yeah, I probably would do well in in silent movies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. Okay, good deal. Yeah. Well, we'll jump around here a little bit. Obviously, we've got the film that we want to talk yeah. about. I know you've done some other work. Now, primarily, one of the big things that we like to talk about in the show, because a lot of people that listen in are either actors already, contemplating acting, contemplating directing. So I tend to want to talk about this topic, because I know myself that you were educated at York University. Now, there are some people mm-hmm. out there that have made a great career out of, like, one year of schooling, and they, they did it, they've achieved everything they want to, and that's great. And now you, of course, have done yeah. some of the formal education. So as a person who yes. performs as a writer and an actor and a director, would you encourage those that are listening in? Is a modicum of education necessary, meaning that there should be a set level? Or do you think life experience is enough to kind of lend their way to get them where they want to go in one of these careers? I would say um, both. Uh, The amount of formal education will vary. depends on the person. Uh, I have met some people, including uh, our cinematographer, a a wonderful, talented fellow named Derek Price, who is essentially self-taught. He never went to school uh, formally uh, for filmmaking, and he's he's actually very, very good as a cinematographer. Um, we're very pleased with his work. Uh, whereas 
I went to York University in, in Canada, and I went for a four-year Bachelor of Fine Arts program. I really right. wanted to learn in depth all the different departments of filmmaking, from this, the concept, the script, and then right through to completed production. I've, you name a department, I've worked in it. Um, uh, for me, it was important to do the whole thing. I think if I had to, if forced to sort of classify it, I think if you're the kind of person who is uh, likes to know a little bit at least of everything that's going on in the entire filmmaking team or television for that matter, then you, you, it behooves you to go through a formal program where you are going to actually you know, have to be responsible uh, for many different departments uh, in the course of your, your studies. Uh, so that you really know what you're dealing with. Uh, if you're, but there's nothing wrong with just jumping in and, and learning um, the ropes through working with other filmmakers who are who are rising up, uh, whether it's for free or some wages, and learning as you go. Uh, life experience, of course, is the other side. You can't rush it. Um, it happens when it happens. Uh, but from a production standpoint, certainly get out there and do as much as you can. Start with the freebies, student films, uh, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, I would caution anybody who is very eager and has resources at their fingertips, uh, by that I mean money, not just people and equipment, uh, who could go out there and say, yeah, I'm going to make a feature. It's my first movie. I would caution against that. Tell stories. Start small. Make a little five-minute film, for example. Build up from there. Polish, polish a nice little nugget. Tell a good story. Grow then from there. Um, mm-hmm. And with that, I, I would agree with a, a writer that I met years ago about the rule of one million. Everybody, he said, has to write a million words of crap before they write something that's really, really going to work. Uh, now, sure. as heavy-handed as that may sound, um, it's it, what he's trying to say is you'll write a ton before something really, really flows and is going to work on screen. So, uh, you know, right. go with what feels right for yourself. Um, explore, try everything. Well, and I'm curious to ask about this too, because one of the things that's interesting is when you did the reliving Maryland project, of course, it, you started this yeah. journey back in 2011 and last we checked, it's now 2017, which means you've actively been working on it in one form or another for six years. So one of the things we want to talk about first off is tolerance and patience and temperament, because obviously you get all excited <laughs> about just like I do with writing, like, Oh my God, I'm going to make this great project. Right. And you're thinking this film is going to come yeah. out and then you're like, Oh look, it's six years later. So obviously there's tons of people that are out there that want to chase and pursue a dream like this, make a film, etc. So talk a little bit about some of the ways by meaning. Tell people about the process. I don't think they really get what it, what it means to be indie because, like, you made the point very clear. We're indie. We're not Hollywood, which means we need your help. You need to help us pay for it. You need to help us work on it, yeah. etc. So kind of talk a bit about the process from getting to – I wrote this cool picture – to where we are right now, meaning we have a trailer, we have this, we have this, just so people get an understanding of it's not as easy as it looks. It's obtainable, but it's not as easy as it looks. Uh, very true. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll mention that there. I know some filmmakers um, who have a little bit less experience than I do, but who have managed to crank out a feature a year for the last three years. 
Um, wow. I haven't seen any of their work, but um, it's uh, they, they've got it screened and they seem to be getting some good feedback. Uh, they're modern pieces; they're not period pieces. That kind of helps a little, um, you know, because it's different when you do a period piece like we're like we're doing uh, with the fifties and sixties. Um, <clears throat> but um, hmm. I, I, I think that <laughs> it really depends on the person. <laughs> Um, you okay. see, when we started in twenty when twenty eleven with reliving Maryland, we were thinking. Uh, it started with me having a uh, a nugget, a, a spark in my mind when I was looking at a photo of the ambulance attendant. It's easy to find online. It was uh, anything relating to Maryland's uh, passing in nineteen sixty two. Uh, there's an ambulance attendant pushing the gurney with her covered uh, remains on it, and I started wondering what was going through that man's mind. Who was that guy? And, and and I started thinking about, yeah, okay, we know all the big players around somebody like Marilyn, but what about what about somebody that, that wasn't a big player? What was going on there? And I started thinking, this is a, we can make a film about this. And Nadine was very, um, just starting in her journey with doing her tribute show as Marilyn, uh, all the dresses, singing all her songs and doing impersonation and so on. And I thought, well, She's into this. She loves Marilyn. She's actually a very naturally talented actress um, as well. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe we can do something here. And then she told me uh, about her makeup artist, uh, Alan Whitey Snyder, and the story there. I'm going to reveal everything, unless uh, some people might right. have heard the story. <laughs> but, but it's, it, and I went, oh, my God, this is a true story. All right, this, we've got to do this. And... So the first year to year and a half was really polishing the script, you know, taking our time, you know, we have other lives, we have money to make and jobs to go to and so on. And then we started to, we brought a uh, co-producer on board and started building, shot a couple scenes. We stopped because we ran out of money and then we waited several more months to then do most of the principal photography in 2014. Um, Okay. I think that what drives me, and everybody's a little different, but what's driven me in the past and now with this is is the love of the story. And it's a new level of what I heard Clint Eastwood once say. It's that the story is king, always mm-hmm. king or queen, if you like, emperor, if you wish. Sure. But the story is the top. And the, the, the love that, that I've grown to have for Marilyn and the number of people out there that have met and or heard from or about online who adore her to this day, uh, it, it sort of drove me, okay? And it's driven Nadine uh, too, uh, to, to make sure that we tell this story. So I think that for anybody out there listening, you have to believe in your story. You have to... You have to want it. You have to want to tell it. You have to want to do it justice. And then if you get it in the can, then you're looking at the post-production level. Then you've got to, that's when all the hubbub sort of calms down. And then you're you're basically your core filmmakers and then whoever's Mm -hmm. on post with you. And then all the, every, everybody else, it's not that they're going away on you. It's just that they're not involved now. So they're, to them, they're sitting and waiting. Hey, when are you going to make this film? When are you going to finish this film? And we're working. We're working. And that's the hardest part I've found is post-production. 
it's fun. It's nice to see a scene come together, to hear my editor say, this stuff just cuts naturally. Like you've got good coverage. You, you know how to shoot a scene. Um, and I said, well, thank you. I'm glad this was relatively easy to edit. And he did a brilliant job, uh, Kevin Fletcher, our editor. Um, and he did it for a very small amount of money. So that took a little longer. He did it in stages between his projects, which pay his bills. Um, mm-hmm. And then the same now with my sound editor, who is now uh, about two weeks away from uh, from our first mix down. And uh, that's been even a longer process because sound... Sure. Uh, I'll throw that in anybody who's starting out or even a novice by now in film, make sure you put more of your effort into getting good sound than even picture because sound is the single biggest downfall, technically speaking of any, of any independent film. So it's uh, you want to make sure you have good recordists and good equipment and good scenario, a good uh, situation to record in. Uh, be prepared to ADR, automated dialogue replacement uh, for anything key, especially, or maybe the whole movie. Um, you mm-hmm. got to love it. You have to love your story. You have to love your people. You have to want to tell your story. That's what fuels the patience because then you just come back to, oh, another step back. Okay, why am I doing this? Right. It's because, in my case anyway, it's to tell this story from Marilyn's life, to do her justice, to be hopefully the first film that's ever been a truly respectful to her, her image, her true self, mm. not just go with the rumors and the Hollywood hoo-ha that's always preceded this. So mm. that's, that's my, that's my answer to that one. Wonderful. Now on that same caveat, since we're talking about that, now I know that you shot some of your scenes with the 35 millimeter. Was the entire film shot in 35 millimeter? I'm just curious from a camera standpoint, just to give us some, some idea <laughs> camera wise. Oh, well, to, to be perfectly clear on that, um, the only 35 millimeter that was shot on this was uh, some stills. Uh, ah, okay, and one, uh, one, uh, a couple of different scenes. Some were prop photos and others were um, uh, actually um, in the scene in, the, in a different sense. Um, uh, right. a fo- there's a photo session. Marilyn's one of the most photographed people to ever str- uh, be on the planet. So uh, a certain percentage of the film is about, you know, photo sessions you know it just seems to be so part of her life it permeated everything she did so it became a storytelling technique for us um and a few of the key photos that made it in there were shot by me uh with a 35 millimeter the rest of it was all on um uh, digital hd um uh the canon a canon camera so I gotcha. And as it relates to, and one of the reasons I'm asking this question is I happen to actually be working on writing a filmmaking textbook. So I I collect from different filmmakers, their thoughts and ideas. So if you want to, one of the things I'm actually working on are are camera shots right now. I'm talking about how different camera shots, different angles, using different types of cameras bring different effects. So, So if I were to ask Morgan as a whole, whether it be this movie or any movie he's worked on, do you have a preferred camera that you want to use whether it's an iphone whether it's a 35 millimeter and then tell me why well i was originally trained on super 8 millimeter and then 16 millimeter um so i have um, my i have heartstrings attached to the older days of film it's actually not that long ago but um but uh if it really and truly to be perfectly honest if i had the the opportunity to i would shoot on uh, 16 again 
and and yes, I would. Uh, there's so much you can do in post by, I mean, even the last several years, 16 was shot, uh, especially for television. Um, they were doing um, uh, telecine transfers anyway. So people were editing online, even if it was shot on film. Um, film just has a certain organic look to it that I haven't yet to see any digital effect copy. It, it can get close. But to me, I, I, I'm a bit of a purist that way. I think that the medium, what the medium is made of, uh, does translate a little differently. Um, mathematicians can say the, the universe is all made of numbers, hence digital is just representing what we're seeing here. But I think that the emulsion levels, layers on film, are the, like a biochemical reaction to light creating images, that to me is more palpable. It's the, I can gotcha. touch it. Um, but at the same time, the things that I've seen about digital, the, the, um, the range of things that are available to filmmakers with uh, uh, less money, um, I, I don't want to say necessarily less skill, but sometimes that can apply, uh, less knowledge, less experience, put it that way, um, they can still create really amazing images. And I think it, it certainly has progressed in the last... I would say well, definitely over the last 10 years to be mm-hmm. perfectly viable. Uh, and if you've got, you do have the money to get like a, like a red dragon, like one of the top end uh, digital cameras, then okay. you can go, you can go anywhere with it. So uh, yes, I would prefer film, but I see the validity in, in digital uh, technology, especially where it's heading to. So awesome. it's what I'm your so choice is, you, is whatever you want. So according Pardon that's me? That's awesome. I'm so quoting you right now. Yeah. I'm just writing this down because I'm like, yes, Morgan said this. And yes, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and I know this only because yeah. I saw the teaser. No I, I haven't seen the other films yet. But I, I was like, you know what? I, I like that because there are some directors that I've talked to and they've literally, they would swear by an iPhone. They're like, you know, I did this entire project, sound, mm. clarity, the whole nine yards, and they swear by it. And I'm, I'm standing back here and I'm thinking, I have a crappy iPhone I'm talking to you on right now or like an Android phone. And I'm like, yeah. I can't even imagine learning how to operate an iPhone, let alone, hey, we're going to shoot a whole movie on this. I'm thinking, how in the hell are you going to do that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I might be back in the archaic days, but I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm technological savvy, but, you know, when it comes to film, well, I thought it was film mm-hmm. and cameras and, you know, all that other fun well, stuff I, that you do. I really think there's two parts to my response to that. I think, uh, um, the first one is, uh, in researching for Living Maryland, I discovered the workhorse camera of earlier Hollywood was what they call the Mitchell BNCR. Big, massive, huge mag of, of uh, film on top, um, 35 millimeter. And I discovered mm-hmm. that not long ago there was a filmmaker, I think they were in Europe somewhere, I can't remember, who actually was able to procure a working BNCR and wanted to shoot an entire feature in this day and age it might have been like three or four years ago, but still pretty modern, um, and that uh, wanted to shoot the entire film on this, uh, I don't know, 50-odd-year-old BNCR. And why? They, first of all, they love the look of the film of 35 millimeter. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember the stock they were choosing, but also the lenses, the feel of it. They felt it just worked for their vision. I believe it was also a period piece. So it, the the medium they're shooting on is reflecting the era that, that they're depicting, um, which to me has very uh, deep artistic um, validity. Now, in general, uh, 
you talk about iPhone versus uh, DSLR or Red Dragon or something like that. Um, I learned a long time ago, the tools don't necessarily matter. Uh, hmm. and, and even, uh, I even had, um, uh, friends who were in the music business who years ago were going, Oh, all these musicians around me going on. They, oh, I can't do this unless they have this new amplifier or this brand new guitar. And he's like, no, you can, if you can play, uh, and you, you're good, then you can make music on anything. It's the same with, I think with film. Uh, I'll say use the word film loosely, uh, uh, mm-hmm. visual medium. Um, if you can tell a story, you know how to shoot something, put it together and tell a story. It doesn't matter if it's an iPhone, DSLR, uh, Bolex wind-up camera. They can only shoot 25 seconds before you, you have to wind it up again. It doesn't matter. If, you, if it works for your vision and you can tell a story, then the latest toys don't really matter. Um, you, I've, I've been, lim- yeah, I've been limited to one degree or another in every project I've done so far based on budget, mm-hmm. but we found right. a way, uh, imagine my glee when I found out what a skateboard <laughs> dolly is. I don't know if you've oh seen one of these. It's sim- simple. No. Yeah. You're using PVC piping as the rails and you get this board with wheels on it, stick the camera on it. And I mean, oh you've got God. this beautiful, smooth, uh, dolly track, and we uh, we we use that several times in Reliving Maryland, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to cost that much. So if you're a little inventive, really? you want to get that moving shot, skateboard dolly is a good way to go. It's not good for everything. Okay. You're not going to get a crane shot, but you know, sure. it's uh, the That's crane awesome. shots are not necessarily going to. Sorry, I'm kind of going on here a bit, but let's finish with this last thought. I, I think about a crane shot in particular, and I go, okay, why are you doing this? Okay, somebody says, I got to have my crane shot. I got to have my crane shot. could be any kind of shot. I'm just picking crane as an example. Okay, sure. well, think about the perspective you want. Okay, is there anybody in your story that needs a sky-high perspective or you just want to be fancy? Okay, uh, I think about the beginning and the end of Forrest Gump, which I just saw again for the for first time in ages. Okay, there's okay. this beautiful, long, high crane shot, but they're following a feather. So it's in flight. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And at the end, this feather on his foot he catches the wind and goes up and they go up in this nice high dolly shot or as crane shot. It, it, it makes sense based on what you're trying to tell. And it works with the metaphor of the film floating through life, carried on the breeze. What are you going to discover? That kind of thing. Um, sure. So I always go, what works with your film? What are you trying to do? And coming full circle again, back to your living Maryland, people who didn't know anything about it, Say, whoa, a 50s and 60s period piece? Like, how did you pull that off on a low budget? I said, well, you don't have, not everything has to be wide panoramic uh, landscapes and scenes full of period cars and all kinds of gear. If you don't have it, zoom in. And I don't necessarily mean on the camera, I mean your whole focus of your story. Have your money shots, set up your scenario. Like, we have a beautiful 59 Cadillac in the beginning of our film. Uh, helps set the, pay, the, the the feeling, the look. Ah, yes, we know where we are uh, in t- in time. Uh, you know, the clothing is relatively easy to to get to reasonably accurate. Um, and, and then we just zoom in in terms of the storytelling. It's an intimate film. It's an intimate story. 
Um, and then we relied on Mother Nature for the big scenes. We went to Banff, Alberta, <laughs> and, and uh, Niagara Falls, Canada, where Marilyn shot movies. And we focused on those t- two because, one, they haven't been done in film before and, mm-hmm. about Marilyn, and two, we're Canadian, so why wouldn't we? Of course. Yeah, that's a perfect yeah. segue into my next question, actually. So I want to mention, everybody, that you live in Ottawa, and we have to talk about this because this blew my mind. I was looking on your page the other day, and I'm like, tell me it mm-hmm. ain't so. So you were going on about this saying, is this true? That You actually got a $100 parking ticket because my jaw dropped. I'm like, is he joking? <clears throat> like, is that a Canadian thing? Because I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, uh, oh yeah, you saw. <laughs> uh, I did, yeah, so of course was, I did. Uh, it it that was a, a bizarre little thing in downtown Ottawa. It was um, during our rush hour time, and uh, you know, a little bit of it was my mistake. I saw one sign that said, you know, after four thirty, it was fine to park there. Mm-hmm. Going further down the street, about thirty feet away from where I parked, there's a little sign saying, um, "This is a." Uh, I think it was a loading zone. I'm not sure, but it was only up to 5:30, and the ticket I got was like uh, the clock on it said 5:05 was the time. So I was like, you know, within half an hour of being free and clear, and this this you know ticket person just got me at the wrong time. Um, but I took it to court and I got it cut in half, so no big deal. Thank God for that, because I was like, I had a heart attack because <laughs> I know that I'm I'm big on that. I just went to the DMV, I bought a car, and I'm like, it cost me like two hundred and seven dollars, and I'm like, this is insane. So I bark about parking tickets and the DMV and this all the time, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, how ironic is that? And he lives in Canada, can't wait to go visit there, and I'm still not driving because there's no way in hell I'm paying a hundred dollar parking ticket. I'm like, oh my God, I could see myself <laughs> totally getting busted for that. So kudos to you though that you got that dropped up. So there's a couple yeah. things I know about well, this man. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Finish. Oh no, no. I was just um, I was just gonna say um, Ottawa still really isn't that bad for for the tickets. Believe it or not, Toronto, where I'm from. I'm originally from Toronto. Um, uh-huh. Yes, the home of the home of the largest film festival on the planet so far. Yeah, um, I know. And uh, the ticket the ticket situation there is terrible. That's the city you don't oh want God. to drive in if you don't know it. But anyway, that's enough of the parking stuff. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Something. So yeah. uh, most of the time when I have somebody on the show, I like to let them know that, yes, even though you are this person who does films and you direct and you write and you do all these really super cool things, you're a regular person too. So these are some of the things that I know about you that are really cool. First of all, oh, my God, if I looked at you, I would have never thought to myself, he's a Sons of Anarchy fan. Get out of Dodge. Get out. Would have never guessed it. Oh, you know why? Because I, 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 I used to interview them, and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I, how co- yeah, I'm like, how could you possibly – oh, my God. You, Sons of Anarchy, say it ain't so. I can't see yeah. it. Well, oh, no, no, t- totally so. And uh, uh, imagine my glee when I found out uh, that uh, Kim Coates is Canadian. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all, totally I, I, awesome. I love I love his acting. He's he's just uh, he's probably one of my favorite characters, as well as um, uh, Fl- Flanagan, uh, the the Scottish oh, guy. Um, uh, oh, uh, oh my God! I should know this. Tommy Flanagan. Tommy, Tommy Flanagan. Yeah, yeah. who who, who, yeah, who got Flanagan. his uh, break in Braveheart? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. No, I like him. I like him too. Yeah. Oh, he's Pardon awesome. Me? So I have to I, I have to ask this question because I ask everybody that comes yeah. on. So this is a spoiler alert. To, so if any of you live under a rock and you haven't watched the finale of Sons of Anarchy, we're going to bust it right now. So <laughs> I want to just chat to see. I'm assuming you watched the finale. So some people come on the yeah. show, my show, and they're like, 
oh, my God, worst finale in the world. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I love that finale. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. I just want to get your thoughts. So were you disappointed? Was Did it fulfill you? Were you like, hey, this is a great ending? What would you think? Uh, well, do you mean specifically like the bitter end that just revolves around Jax or what he had to do I, with I his I think that really the whole – like the whole – really the whole season, but primarily that last episode, like the finale itself, in my opinion, personally, I think it wrapped everything up very nicely. You know, like there was really no, no ends that weren't resolved. You know what I mean? Uh, I believe so too. Um, I, I, I sat and thought about it. Uh, I'd already heard without spoilers at the time, I'd already heard some people going, eh, didn't like the ending. So, uh, but when I finally, when I got around to watching it, because I kind of lost track of a few episodes and I had to catch up at the very end, um, I I watched it and I'm like, there really, there really isn't any other way it could have happened in my mind that wouldn't look cheesy, because the only other thing ah. would be, okay, is this guy gonna live? Uh, okay, fine, he has to go away, otherwise he's going to jail for the rest of his life. Uh, he mm-hmm. feels bad about what he's done. This is about Jax, of course. Um, right. I thought, well, okay, what would be the best other scenario to me? And that would be that he would disappear, go away into hiding, and wait to the right time down the line to be there for his, his boys. Okay? Mm-hmm. But then I thought, this is too much of a, um, I was going to use a company name, but I won't, a, a greeting card type ending <laughs> to a, to a very, very brutal and in your face kind of series. So I think if um I think uh, to be true to the spirit of the entire series and how they they were telling the stories first of all but just this he's right he he's he's a, he's a bad man. We we all like him watching from from the standpoint of a viewer but you know right. you you come across somebody like that in real life you're going to think they're a big prick. Okay, who, right. who who goes around just shooting people because they want to and because they're, they're cutting into your gun business? I mean, that's just – but when you watch it from this point of view on TV, oh, yeah, yeah, Jax, yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah, oh, God, he's in pain. And, you know, of course, the girl's going, you know, he's really hot and everything. But at the end of the day, the character – and I kind of liken that to the story being king – that character mm-hmm. in my mind had to die. And he knew it. He came to terms with what he'd done, and he wanted Correct. to go out in his terms, not rot in jail. So uh, those are my reasons as to why I think it was a good ending. Nice. Very nice. And I concur with that, actually. And by the way, just so you know, I've met Katie Seagal, and i got to tell you, oh, my God, mm. completely so not Gemma. So not Gemma. I'm like, oh, my oh, gosh, yes. she's the most <laughs> delightful woman. So sweet, so lovely, so pretty, too. I mean, great-looking woman, the whole night woman. But tell me. Yeah. Not only does he like SOA, which I love, but you also like Star Wars. I'm such a Yoda freak. So into Yoda. <laughs> I mean, I like literally could have Yoda living with me and I'd be happy. So I have to ask a question. I geeked out and I refused to see Rogue One because I'm like, you know what? That's not really Star Wars to me. I know that's going to sound bad because I, I know. And I'm going to ask you about Rogue One because my kids are on my back. Let's go see Rogue One. I'm like, maybe if I want to watch Paint Dry. I know that sounds bad. So you're going to tell me about Rogue One so that I'll get convinced to go because I'm like, yeah, do we have to? Well, okay, so so how was it? Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, first of all, you got to know something about me as a viewer. Uh, mm-hmm. I seem to be rare amongst filmmakers 
and people. But Rare Most Filmmakers, if a story is good, I can look past, oh, that was probably done with this dolly, and I think they used this key light, and it's coming in from the wrong side or whatever. I know filmmakers that can't watch movies anymore without thinking about how they shot stuff or did they why did they write it that way um if the story is working i can lose myself in it so i think of it as a gift because i'm not blocked by my own craft let's put it that way nice. um uh which i don't know i it's i seem i've always been able to do that i like tell me a good story i'm there you know i can lose myself in it um now rogue one i the other part of me is that I look at each film as its own entity. Yes, it may be part of a franchise, a storyline, but I look at each story. Uh, anytime there is a successful uh, film and its sequels, even if people don't like the sequels or prequels, I always look at it and go, but what's not to like? This is just a different story. You're expecting it to be the same as, uh, you feel the same about it as you did when... Uh, a New Hope came out in 1977. It's not going to happen because the mm-hmm. cat's out of the bag. You, you've you seen the sparkle and the lasers and Darth Vader and lightsabers. You're, you, you, the bubbles burst. Now it's all about story and character and where did they go? The humans, again, the story is king. So I didn't mind it. Rogue One, the biggest complaint I heard was, oh, we're going to miss all those neat king characters that they had in there. Well, sorry, spoiler alert for you, maybe. But the thing is, those characters, because it's a prequel right before the the film that started it all, okay, The New Hope, these those characters cannot exist. They are gone. There's only a few that weren't on the front line that we see, and you go, oh, I recognize that one. I recognize that one. Um and uh, I actually read an article, and I agreed with it not long ago, about um, Darth Vader coming back to the screen again in, in Rogue One. Oh, my Rome. God. And, uh, I mean, you, you knew that was going to happen, so it's not really a big spoiler, really. Uh, but right. How can I say more without actually giving a spoiler? I can say that you can see him probably at his most badass um, as Darth Vader um, when he wasn't Anakin prior, and I think even more so than when he was facing down with Luke in Return of the Jedi. Because by then, he's he's starting to become a little worn down. He's I think he's his character's having doubts, like he's, um, he's heading past midlife, and his son is there wearing him down, saying, I feel the good in you. Whereas he, he, at this point in time, he is totally the Emperor's puppet and, and Batman, and he, he is he, he's, he's pretty freaking cool in the film, actually. Um, I, I think it set it up beautifully. Uh, it showed the rebellion, shows the rebellion in a new light. Uh, let's just say it has more teeth than you think it ever did. Um, really? And yeah, more teeth, uh, a little more cutthroat. And to the point where some people were surprised because we're used to this sort of almost, I don't want to, how to put it, uh, not candied sort of presentation, but very clean. Well, we're the rebellion, we're all wholesome. Well, the rebellion kills people. It has to kill people in order, sometimes sure. in order to get what it needs. It's a rebellion, right? So they get a little more in the trenches with that. That's, uh, that's all I can tell you there. Um, 
I think if you're a true Star Wars fan, it, it, it definitely it's worth the watch. Um, it's definitely better than the first two prequels. Really? Uh, 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 Phantom Menace and um, the the next one where uh, Anakin's a teen oh. now. Um, oh, the, those I know two, what you're talking about. Those two had good points to them, but most people dissed those quite a lot. They didn't mind the one where Anakin finally breaks down and becomes Darth Vader because he becomes sure. Darth Vader. Um, but the first two, uh, I think Rogue One is a better uh, in-between quill um, than, than mm. those first two prequels. But having said that, I like where those first two went, um, mostly because... To me, the core of the all the Star Wars universe is the the Jedi. They are the right. spiritual, the spirit and uh, of the whole universe. To me, uh, good and bad, uh, evil, heroic, and so on. Um, and you know that makes what makes it work for me. Uh, any without the Jedi, I think you'd have a a, a very soulless uh, space opera. I agree. Now, here's the real question. Yeah. I'm going to guess that Rogue One doesn't have. I've been complaining because, you know, they got rid of Yoda, and they don't seem to feel it necessary to flash back to Yoda. I'm like, oh, you can flash back all those other people or do that little whatever they do, where they like, whoop, and all of a sudden they show up. But they don't bring my Yoda back. So I'm going to guess that Rogue One doesn't have Yoda in it either, right? No Yoda. Uh, oh. Well, okay, spoiler alert. Uh, <gasps> I don't recall Yoda being there. I'll put it that way. <sighs> Uh, and I don't recall, but you got to remember at the end of, uh, the, 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 the third prequel where Darth Vader is basically born. Okay. Right. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda goes into, into exile. Like they, remember they talk about where you have, we must go into hiding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, wait for the right time. We're the only Jedi's left. It's basically him and Ben Kenobi. As far as they know, all the others are dead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or right. soon will be killed. So they must go and preserve and be there for um, Anakin's kids um, in the future because uh, they know they could be a potential threat to the Empire and they must nurture them and steer them the right way. So they, they already have a plan. So we've just seen them go basically go away because we don't see Ben Kenobi either. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. In okay. Rogue One. Uh, not that I'm gotcha. calling anyway, uh, because they're 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 in hiding. Uh, Kenobi's looking after, wa- oh, watching out for for young Luke, making sure nothing's gonna swoop in and scoop him up as a kid. And uh, well, Leia's off with uh, uh, what's his name on Alderaan. Um, the the uh, uh, I can't remember this character's name, but they become surrogate parents for her. So they're they're both split up and hiding, which is again kind of playing i would say almost almost cutthroat from the jedi uh in a sense they're not just thinking well let's preserve these long lives we're going they're going we know these are the offspring of anakin chances are they're going to be powerful with the force they may be our only chance to fight back in the future let's split them up and make sure at least one of them survives so they're actually Ah. being very pragmatic um 
and that's a side of it that uh, maybe some people don't really catch. But I think that uh, in Yoda and Ben go, uh, Kenobi going into hiding is also very pragmatic. Pragmatic. So Rogue One doesn't, in a sense, need them. Uh, it needs a lot of other characters that you, you'll, you <laughs> as you watch it, you'll go, oh, them. Yeah, even if they're a smaller ah. part, they they come in. Ah, oh yeah, there they are. And they use some digital technology, of course, to keep them looking the same. One of them is, of course, oh, of course. Uh, the guy that plays Tarkin. That's uh, Peter Cushing. I mean, he died like 20 years ago. Um, ah. So they did a really good CGI for him. You can tell, but you can also look at it and go, it's really good CGI. But you can sure. still look at it and go, yeah, it's CGI. But it's good CGI. Right. Oh, I, no, I get what you're talking about. Okay, yeah. Well, now that we've covered that, I can just I can hear these people listening to us. And they're like, oh, my God, they're talking about Star Wars. They're supposed to be talking about your film. We're talking about Star Wars. So let, let me round out that yeah. personal stuff for people because this was another shocker. Not only was I shocked by the whole SOA thing, but you're, like a, you're a heavy metal fan. I'm like, I'm trying to picture you rocking out to heavy metal, and I'm thinking, no. Morgan, no. I'm like, are you looking at yourself? You're so not no you, no heavy metal. I'm like, okay, this guy has a great sense of humor, huge on the whole push and dreams and passions, the whole nine yards. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm so not seeing you rocking out the Motley crew. Now I'm like, what? I'm like, are you you? Because I'm like, the yes, actual in heavy metal thing? Seriously. Okay, so you have to clarify this. You have Pip and the Rabbit. You have Queen the Cat. And I got confused. I want to say you have three cats and one rabbit, but it's confusing on your page. So let's just clear that up. How many pets do you have okay, in the second Do they make the Marilyn movie? I hope. Maybe because they're so any cute. Of the, any of the animals? Uh, not yeah. ours. But I'll, first of all, well, it, 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 it's one of those things with choices. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, we have three cats, two rabbits, and a turtle. That's our menagerie. A turtle? Holy mess, yeah, uh, though. I didn't see the turtle uh, or anywhere. Or red-eared slider. What's that? I, I didn't Pardon see me? the turtle anywhere, so you caught, you caught me off guard with the turtle. Oh, no, he, he's, he, there are pictures of him somewhere up there, but it's, uh, we haven't posted anything for quite a while, um, mostly because he's kind of recluse now. He tends to hide in his habitat and come out when he's hungry, and that's it. He's, he's not very sociable. Uh, <laughs> but, I got, no, but, I know I have um, one, so I get that. In terms of uh, the Maryland film, I reliving Maryland. Um, the, the main reason I can say that uh, none of our animals made it into the film is where it may could have happened, um, because Maryland was a huge lover of animals, and there's lots of photos of her with all kinds of different animals. Um, it's a question of there's so much material to mine in Maryland's life. Like there's the, even our one of our main consultants. Um, the author of the book, The Icon, The Life and Times of Marilyn Monroe, Gary Vitaco Robles, um, who absolutely adores her script and her film, uh, he threw like five or six different suggestions, only two of which, very big ones, mind you, but two of which made it into our film. Uh, we went, mm-hmm. that's a great idea. We're slipping it into the next draft, right? Um, so, uh, you know, there's just so much material. We couldn't do it all. Um, oh, and, and even... And even Gary and I talked to and said, the only way to really get everything in or try to about the life of Marilyn Monroe would be to do, I don't know, a series uh, that lasts as long or longer than, say, Breaking Bad. Like, I mean, you could do, you could do a whole season uh, on every year of her life, for crying out loud. Uh, it's oh, a, it, once, if you really... 
yeah, and, and, and dig in for the real stories, not the hearsay stories and, and, and everything. Like, we don't even bother focusing on the Kennedys, for example. Uh, imagine oh, that. There's one reference to the president, oh that's it. Because um, okay, exactly. it's not germane. It's not considered as germane, except that, yeah, okay, she did go and sing for him, and she did hang out with him a couple of times that we know of. Uh, but beyond that, a lot of Maryland, hardcore Maryland fans, really are kind of have had enough with the, oh, stop it with the Kennedy thing. There's a lot more sure. to Maryland than just her and the Kennedys, right? Um, so, so, So there's that. Um, and uh, the animals. There's one animal in the film, and that is a dog. That belongs to a friend of mine, and oh, okay. uh, she is a perfect um, stand-in for Marilyn's last pet, which was a, a shaggy little terrier named Maff. And uh, Maff actually outlived Marilyn. Um, poor thing oh, had to be goodness. given to a foster home after um, can't remember who took it in, uh, took him mm-hmm. in. But uh, so we we actually have Maff in our movie. Um, which right. is kind of neat because uh, I don't believe sure. do not believe that's been done before either. So, so. very cool. Gotcha. Now, before we yeah. move back to the business side of things and the stuff you've done, we don't want to forget to mention the other personal thing, which is, folks, just in case you may not know this, Nadine Banville is the main character or the lady who plays the main character. I just spoke to her briefly today and told her how stunning and striking I believe she is because I believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely beautiful. You're coming up on almost one year anniversary with your lady love, which I think is awesome. So here's what I want to ask you yeah. about Nadine. Obviously, of mm-hmm. course, you work together, um, and and you look lovely together. I'm not going to lie about that. So, talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit because there's there's tons of people that listen to my show that I know work together, live together, love together, etc. So, first of all, I don't know how you don't kill each other. So, I want to know how how a do you not how do you not kill one another? But most in, importantly, talk to your audience a bit about what it takes to be able to have a successful personal slash professional relationship with the person that you love. Because honestly, in this business, I see it's challenging. I see it all the time. I'm like I'm amazed. So kudos on the almost one year. I'm very excited about that. Well, thank you. That's just marriage. We've actually been together for almost nine years. Oh my gosh! So we're, we're yeah, we're not new to e- we're not new to each other. Uh, we just okay. uh, I proposed to her back in 2012 at the 50th anniversary of Marilyn Monroe's passing, and it was I proposed to her in Hollywood. Uh, at a special party with uh, a lot of her our Maryland fan friends, um, and I actually caught her by surprise. She she didn't really yeah, expect it, which is a rarity for her. She usually sees everything coming. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, uh, we we put off the the wedding because we knew we were making the film. We were pushed for that. So sure. said, let's 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 get the film at least to a certain stage of production, and then okay, right. well, then we got to that point. Okay, let's start looking at the wedding. Um, so we've actually we've actually gotten quite used to each other. Um, how do you say how do you say that simple? Um, I don't think you can. <laughs> I, I think it's a journey. You you it depends on the the um, dare I say the the level of love between two people. Um, sure. You you have to you have to realize that love is not always the the. I don't mean you personally, but the general you. Uh, one has to realize that that love, the love that's going to work in these situations, is is a love that is not um, uh, all puppy dogs and and uh, and roses and and, right. and fun times. It's right. it's the okay. 
I really do not like what you're doing right now, but I still love you. Um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's like the old saying, uh, love them warts and all. When you see the person's warts, you can go, you know what? I love them uh, because I love them. And um, I don't need to justify it or give reasons. I just love them and, and be willing to, to help them through things, to try to boil down to, okay, what do we really want to say to each other? especially in the creative process. Um, We've been a great support to each other, still are. Uh, It was a big challenge for uh, Nadine to to play Marilyn. I knew she'd do a great job and has done so. Hmm. Um, But this is is her first feature film. Uh, She's done a little bit of uh, other acting uh, uh, for fun, but this is her first feature. And she is very concerned that she do that she would do justice to an icon like Marilyn. Um, on that note, I want to be very specific to anybody listening, whether they they know a lot about Marilyn or not, is that we both believe that no one can ever duplicate Marilyn. Um, at best, people can get um, you know a few facets of her really really well enough to let the viewers um, sort of escape for a little bit and go, yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting a Maryland vibe here. This is working for me. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people out there uh, have been disappointed with films that try to tell parts of her life story in the past, not just because of content, but because, oh, that, that actress is so not Marilyn. Well, I think that viewers... <clears throat> No one, no one is ever going to duplicate her, and we know that too. Of course. Um, having mm-hmm. said, having said that, having said that, I, I'm a little biased, but I have seen mm-hmm. only one other, one other um, person who has come really close, uh, and that's uh, a um, uh, performer named Sunny Thompson. Uh, she does a whole ah. stage show. It's an enti- entirely mm-hmm. different medium than than what we're doing. Uh, but she is the the only other one that we feel anyway uh, reaches into the the um, closer anyway uh, to the soul of, of of Marilyn and doing her justice, uh, being respectful to her and telling a true story, showing a real person, not just you know a bubble headed icon who's you know painted right. as being a stupid gold digger. Those were some of her characters, not all stupid, mind you, but those are some of the characters she played. But, uh, or at least they seem to be, I mean, caveating those because you really watch and look past the soft voice that she actually really largely put on. Her real voice is a lot sharper uh, mm-hmm. and a little bit lower. And we actually aimed for that in our film too. Um, some people are surprised when they watch the trailer. They go, well, I hear some of the softness, but I hear something else too. And it's said, well, we went for a hybrid Soft, yes, because she right. did speak softly, but she has an edge in her voice, too. Uh, and and we wanted to show, again, the real Marilyn. So, um, but anytime Nadine and I worked together uh, as a couple on that, it was always, okay, um, she'd be like asking me, um, do you feel I'm on track with this? Yes, I feel you are. If she didn't feel she was, then I'd ask why we'd work it out. Sometimes it was a little tough, but it was always come back to why are we doing this? This dovetails right. with one of your earlier questions, the patience. Okay. 
And that's the other key ingredient. You got to be patient. Uh, sometimes I get flustered. She get flustered. Get a little scared, concerned. Are we going the right way? Are we getting this? Um, then we come back to. I, I, usually it was me, to be honest, but that's okay. I mean, everyone has their 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 strengths. And my strength is always. Wait a minute. Let's stop for a second here. Come back to why are we making the movie? Okay, to tell this special story from her life and to honor somebody that we feel made a, a wonderful cultural impact in the world and still is to this day and so few people have been able to bring that forth in writing or on screen um, sure. about Marilyn Monroe so let's come back to why why did we start this journey and that always kind of settles the dust in any of our worries and concerns and go okay all right yeah and then we watch some scenes from our editor or whatever and we go hey you know this is working you know, and we just go forward from there. Um, a lot of it's preparation. You know, uh, if you prepared well as a filmmaker, then what you get in the in the stages where you go, we can't afford to shoot anymore. Um, you, then you, that's when you get the real feedback, and you go, yeah, okay, this is working. Uh, the editing is flowing. It's looking like a proper professional film. Um, it's doing what we want it to do, and and there's nothing we have to fix, quote unquote. Uh, it's working. Uh, that's when you know. Sorry, it comes late in the process, but that's when you really know you've done your homework, you've prepared right. it properly, stuck to your vision, and you've made it happen. So I know I kind of went into another topic there, but. That, that happens, team, you know what? Teamwork. You know what? That, that, that happens all the time, actually. One of the things that I noted <laughs> was, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but didn't Nadine yeah. did some tribute shows? Did she not? Because that was your wife, right? And that was actually her dressed up and doing the tribute shows, or did I mistake that? Oh no, 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 absolutely. And I mentioned that earlier. She was actually right. part of the reason why we got on the journey. Uh, she she didn't just want to do um. Uh, this is a tribute to Nadine herself in the sense that she just didn't want to do a, a caricature. Uh, somebody suggested it to her. Hey, have you ever thought of doing like Marilyn Monroe tribute? And she's like, no, I never thought about it. And so she started her own research, started reading. She reads very fast. She's like, oh, my God, this I can relate. I know a lot of fans say that, but that's it's true. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things about the real Marilyn that she could relate to in her life personally. Um, and I think that's part of the appeal of Marilyn, even, you know, more than 50 years after her death, you know, 55 right. years of this year, um, you know, mm-hmm. because she, she, she appealed to so many people and Nadine found that for herself too. So she wanted to read more and read more and found the fan community. And we started preparing the film script and everything. So she built a tribute show and wanted to do not just the, usual songs, you know, Diamond Zero Girl's Best Friend and, you know, the Happy Birthday song which she did for the uh, for Kennedy. She went, oh, well, I haven't seen she went online on YouTube, didn't find any videos from anybody doing some of the more obscure songs that Marilyn did. Like, uh, everybody needs a dad, dad, daddy, you know, that sort of thing, um, which is in one of her films, but for some reason a tribute artist doesn't do it. Uh, River of No Return, uh, One Silver Dollar. Uh, these are all songs that she did. She did a whole. She did a whole show. Uh, she mm-hmm. has retired it now. She did it for seven years, and she is now pursuing her her work as a jazz singer. 
Um, that's her. That's artistically. That's her main focus now is work forging mm. head into jazz. Um, nice. So she wanted to sort of go into that now. So yeah. Very nice. Very nice. See, so we yeah. had to cover that because that's important. Obviously, she's not just a leading lady in a movie. Yeah. She's your leading lady. So of course you have to cover that. I think that's important. Okay. <clears throat> well, so, absolutely. And we yeah. raised some of our money doing those shows too. So for the film. <laughs> that's absolutely uh, awesome. She- that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, she actually suggested it at one point and said, well, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's put on as mm-hmm. many shows as we can get into venues and sell them out and, uh, get people out and have some silent auctions and hey, if you've got another talent as a filmmaker and you can put on a show or do a reading or I don't know, <laughs> paintings or whatever else, uh, cause let's face it, even Indiegogo campaigns, uh, or Kickstarter, whatever, it can be difficult when it comes to the mm-hmm. arts, because you look at the most successful ones, they're usually product-based, i.e., I'm inventing this new scuba diving mask. If you give me 100 bucks, you're going to get one of the first ones I make. People like things they can hold on to. They can, oh, I'm getting some a thing from this, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're raising money for a film, uh, they get an experience with a show, they get to buy a painting, they get a photo session or whatever exactly. the thing is you have as a talent or a product to pedal, pedal that in conjunction. We also gave a little money to charities along the way. And we're still looking nice. at that probably for the next fundraisers. We've got to change tactics entirely um, and, uh, and basically say, hey, come ride with us and we'll split it down the middle. You know, you that's, uh, speaking that's of, one of uh, yeah. Speaking of raising money, I know at one time you were doing this. I just want to clarify because I don't want to sound like an idiot. You were um, actually offering the Reliving Maryland calendar. So I want to just clarify on that. Are you still doing that? Is that still available? Can folks still get the calendar? Um, I, not at the moment. If we find oh, that people okay. are, are posting on our Living Maryland page, hey, I want a calendar and we have enough, then we'll certainly look at making a little late for 2017 now, but we'll look at doing one for 2018 if we get enough call for okay. it. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Got I saw we that. Did that in 20, yeah, let's throw it out there. We did that for 2015. We were doing fundraisers mm-hmm. still uh, during a hiatus in produ- uh, shooting in 2014. So uh, in anticipation of the new year, which is, of course, when people are thinking about calendars, we we did mm-hmm. offer them mm-hmm. up for donations and so on, and um, and we sold them all out. So, Gotcha. Okay. Now, so we're going to talk about, obviously, the film Reliving Maryland. First of all, um, as you mentioned, you take a very different angle to this, meaning that you talk about or, or the center of the film surrounds – of course, Marilyn Monroe and her relationship with a so-called regular person, meaning her makeup artist, Whitey Snyder. Um, So let's start with that. Why pick um, an average ordinary relationship outside of the fact, obviously we know it hasn't been done before, but why, first of all, why is it important for you to establish uniqueness with your movie? I mean, obviously there's the obvious, which is you certainly want to be different, but um, you know, Marilyn Monroe fans love Marilyn Monroe. Obviously, there's so much to learn, so much to know about her. Um, and obviously, of course, Whitey, I wasn't sure that there was enough out there, really. Do, do you feel that there was enough out there for you to really embrace that character well? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and actually, I've had some people ask me that question before. I've actually talked okay. to a couple of people that actually met him uh, in, the, oh, nice. in the late 80s. He passed away in 97, I believe. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, 1997, but um, 
I found material and uh, what I couldn't get, you know, in explicit details about his um, aspects of his character, uh, which wasn't much that I couldn't lay hands on because there's a few, still a few interviews left with him out there on YouTube and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones on a site called um, uh, Cursum Porfizio, that was the on Maryland's doorstep. It's Latin. It means my journey ends here. There's a site out there called that, and it's filled with stuff you won't find anywhere else. But anyway, um, I, the interviews showed me how he spoke. Uh, he spoke a lot faster than I delivered because dramatically... Yeah, I had to shift it because he, 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 the man spoke like a bullet. It was kind of interesting. He was just a very quick talker. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but I, I went uh, as an actor, as a, dare I say I'm a little bit of an empath, I guess. Um, I, I studied his expression on, in the photos, many photos of him with Marilyn. And there was always this, admiration but not in the sense of a complete uh, besotted fan uh it wasn't like that and it wasn't a lover and i had that i've had that confirmed from many sources that those two never crossed the line uh ah. which is interesting to me, which is interesting to me because we're i think i think we're inundated in modern film and television with oh there's got to be a romance there's always a romance why does it always have to sure. be a romance why can't it be? Uh, they were, in a way, kind of like brother and sister. Um, they were friends, certainly. They were obviously all professional um, friends. He he was basically hired by her. She wanted him specifically. So there was a, there was a a professional relationship there, obviously. But it was more than just that. It was also this friendship. Uh, and she she liked to hang out with his daughter, um, and because uh, he had a daughter with his first marriage, uh, to a lady named Beverly, and um, uh, so you know there's a thing he is totally married, stable, uh, professional man who was always there for her. Uh, one of the few that was. There's only a couple others that I've heard about. Uh, one was a massage therapist that she had named Ralph. Uh, he has like a little cameo. We pay tribute to him in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he was there in a certain way, but not not in the same depth, with the same depth and the same amount of time. Uh, Whitey was with her her entire professional career. And wow. that would be 16 years. Yeah, 16 years, effectively, since her first screen test at age 20. Of course, she started right. earlier that with modeling and a couple little small appearances in her first movies. But a lot of people think of age 20, the first screen test with, um, I believe it was Phil Fox, uh, and onward. So definitely 16 years. Um, so wow. And largely an unsung hero. Uh, and the other, th- the other thing is, too, uh, in in our journey, both Nadine and I, we, we we found that there was this almost underlying thread uh, amongst hardcore fans of Marilyn um, that they they kind of wish they kind of almost fancied themselves as you know if I was if I was around Marilyn at the time you know I would have loved to have been her friend um, I would have liked to maybe even helped her 
you know, because if you look at um, hindsight being 2020, of course, but if you if you study her life and a lot of the things that happened and how she was largely manipulated, she didn't start really manipulating back until almost like really in the last year of her life, she started playing up her, um, that's not the right term, um, not playing up, uh, using her her fame to reach out to her fans and get them on her side so she could be reinstated with Fox because she was fired on a film, she, uh, Something's Got to Give, a film she, she never did finish because she died. Um, and she didn't think that was right. Uh, she'd been treated poorly by the studio for a long time, and uh, certainly in her feeling. And uh, so she kind of went on a... Uh, shall I call it a passive offensive uh, where she went, okay, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to reach out to the people that made me famous. And she always said the, the fans made her famous, not the studios. And that is a fact. I can quote that with confidence. So she reached out to the people that loved her and they, of course, came, you know, and rallied behind her and, and people started, the studio said, okay, fine. What do you want? And she named her price, not because she wanted money, but she wanted respect. And she got back in. So so mm-hmm. she was uh, outside of that period where she kind of fought back in her own way. Uh, she banded, pushed around by the studio and her contracts and, and being misunderstood and, and not getting good roles after a certain point. They always wanted to pretty play the same crap. Uh, and, you know, uh, she was on the verge of, of breaking out of that when when she her un, the time of her untimely death, so it's uh, it's a lot of people wonder where would she have gone if she if she continued in uh, to live, and I think she would have made some wonderful films of her own, uh, you know, captain of her own ship. That's where she was headed. That- I agree with you, definitely. Yeah. I note that yeah. to those that are listening in, of course, not only did you write this um, and directed it, of course, you acted in it. So I always want to ask this question because some directors typically will just stick to the directing and they'll do the writing and they're like, no, there's no way I'm going to be on screen. But you obviously had a desire to participate in playing in this. So talk to your audience a bit about the complications or the creative pluses to actually doing that three dynamic, because that's, that's an awful lot, writing, acting, and directing all three, you know, it's a little tough. So um, what made you want to be in this film as an actor? Oh, well, that's be- it's because I actually am a, an actor first and foremost. I got into right. filmmaking because of acting. So it's, it, I'm, I've always been an actor first and foremost. Writing is close second and directing would be a third. Um, I discovered that I seemed to have a good hand for directing when I went to film school. Um, backtracking briefly uh, to the credit where credit's due, uh, Nadine um, basically came up with um, a lot of ideas from her research for the story. Um, I penned the screenplay, but we worked on it very, very closely together. Um, so it wasn't strictly me. So again, teamwork uh, would be partly how I'd answer that. Um, to use an old martial arts adage uh, from the masters, uh, n- several attackers cannot hit you all at the same time, even if it's a millisecond between them. So the point there is you focus on one thing at a time. 
So even if you're doing many things, I also built props. I built my own model, life-size model of said for, aforementioned BNCR Mitchell camera because we couldn't find one anywhere for under $11,000 for one that wasn't even working. Oh, my God. Um, sure. So I said, I'm building one. And the mag on top for the film was actually made out of a toilet paper dispenser, believe it or not. Um, I, I always like to tell people that because it's just like I'm in a public bathroom one day and I'm going, how am I going to build the mag? And I look on the wall and I'm going, you know, it's about the right size. I'm going to find one of those on eBay. And I did. And I <laughs> modified it and I made a mag for the camera. But um, so it's about seeing shapes and other things and how you can you could build it. So I uh, also worked on props. I worked on some costume procurement, um, but acting and directing. Uh, my answer was to bring on board um, a fabulous uh, actor and acting coach named Shannon Lawson. She's actually won the Gemini Award up here in Canada. Now called our Screen Actors um, uh, Screen uh, Screen Acting Awards up here in Canada. Um, it's basically our Oscars, only much smaller. Um, nice. And uh, she she's um, uh, mostly coaching now. And she we brought her on board to work with Nadine. Um, and um, and of various aspects of the building the character, and I asked her if she was interested in co-directing, because when I need to act, I need to take off one hat and put on another, and uh, to use the metaphor, and I needed somebody who had eyes on what I was doing, so that I could really sink into my character and be directed. Okay, and so she she came on and then effectively did that for all the actors. If I wasn't in a scene or a specific shot, I would chime in if I if I was needing to chime in. A lot of times I let Shannon go. I'm like, um, I'm good with where they're going. You want to give them a note? Go for it. Because uh, anything she did only made an actor dig a little deeper and, and go add another note to what they were doing or change something to just go a little further, you know? Um, so honestly, if, if advice is sort of being asked for partially, um, I would say to any filmmaker out there who wants to act and direct, uh, have somebody co-direct, or if you don't want to call them a co-director, have them call them a coach. Have somebody who's qualified, who knows what they're doing, knows how to direct, knows how to coach actors, to watch what you're doing when you are on camera to keep you honest because a lot of directors can't let go or let go enough of anyway of the technical hoo-ha going on in their brain. Oh yeah, I got to get this is a close up and then the next shot's going to be this and then you know I think well we got 4 hours till we got to get out of this location whatever it may be um they need to let go of that and be the character. Um, that's what I feel anyway. Somebody else may be brilliant doing it a different way. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I haven't seen that yet unless it's comedy. Um, people who are natural at comedy, brilliant at comedy, which is truly a gift, um, they can shift those gears a little easier, it seems, because a lot of performers who do comedy largely really just do themselves in those situations. So they're not, they're not necessarily delving into some complete other character. There may be aspects that are different, but you know, let's face it, 
a lot of comedic mm-hmm. film is difficult to pull off, but it's not necessarily regard needing the same kind of hat or focus changing that I'm speaking of for drama. Uh, it's um, that's just my experience anyway. So that's what I would no, suggest, I and that's how I handled it. Okay. Now, I note that your soundtrack, um, I want to talk a bit about the soundtrack, because, of course, obviously, I'm a huge uh, fan of indie musicians, etc. So tell us a little bit about who composed the music for the soundtrack and what made you select these particular musicians to work with you. Um, the main reason I chose them was that they were willing to work uh, for an indie film, and they fell in love with the movie. Uh, hmm. And they they fell in love with it only uh, having watched a low-resolution, any film out there there using digital will understand why only email or we transfer a low-res because it's too fat a file otherwise. Um, Low-res with time code, incomplete sound, no ADR yet, um, and explain that to them uh, because they need to see the movie for the flow and the feeling. And even still, they, they fell in love with it. Uh, and I thought, wow, if they fall in love with it in this stage, and it's not even a polished gem yet, uh, then we're on the right track. Um, uh, the first composer is a man named Giovanni Banura, and he's from northern Italy. And nice. the man is brilliant. The man is totally brilliant. Uh, and the other other composer is uh, a young new composer named David Obagni, uh, it's O-B-A-N-I-Y-I. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but um, anyway, both of them are easily findable on Facebook. And uh, okay. they both uh, they both um, met, as it were, online, and we did three-way chat. And uh, they agreed, yeah, no problem. I kind of reached out and got response first from David and then from uh, Giovanni sort of, bam, bam, one after the other, and I heard both of their music, and then, you know what, both of you guys, I want both of you. Um, are you willing to share, in a sense, the, the credit, the glory, the work, the opportunity? And they both said, sure. So I sent them, I had a list of all the scenes by number, um, and uh, and I basically they, they both said, oh, I would really like to do that one. And usually the other would say, yeah, no problem. I want to do these two. Oh, okay, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. Um, and that's how we split it up. And just the, 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 the feeling, the soul in their music, just it, they, they really understood, understand, understood the, the, uh, the, the, the emotional content of our film and, and pulled it out in, into the music. So that the music takes already even in the raw a very raw emotional film and then just almost like turns up the volume on it uh which is to my mind anyway i the ideal position for a film to be in uh one in my mind i don't i never want a film to not work until you put music in it almost like it needs music. Oh, it's not sad enough, so we need to add sad sounds so it makes it feel sad. Um, All the content needs to be there in your story and your performances and the flow of it. And then the music is, is, it's not just the icing on the cake. It reaches into the soul and through the depths of it. Amen. Yeah, exactly. It it, it takes you off the earth and takes you up into into heaven, in my opinion. And Hmm. these guys both, both did it. 
both did it. You betcha. Just did it, and yeah, yeah, no, they're awesome. Now, this is interesting. I know that you had um, you are striving to be original and unique and out of the ordinary as it relates to the story in Reliving Maryland. And I found it interesting. Mm-hmm. I came across something where you were recreating her Maryland's home, the archway, meaning to her home, because um, I had seen the pictures yep. and you were trying to do this recreation. So my question to you is, um, you're obviously wanting to keep that originality with the theme and the story and the whole nine yards, but yet there are some things that you do want to recreate as close as possible to her. So do you think that you were able to combine both uniqueness as well as originality from some of her original life? Were you able to mix that both completely and clearly so that they jive together very well? Because I love the way it looks. Oh, uh, and I thought, because I'm a huge Maryland fan. Well, absolutely. Um, it... it <clears throat> What makes it original is if it hasn't been done or done properly before on film. Um, things, if things like uh, one of the Nadine's departments, because uh, it relates to her character, um, right. was to make sure that the different hairstyles were accurate, <clears throat> or at least as accurate as we could get them. There's always a little slight difference, you know, because um, mm-hmm. hair is very, very, very hard to capture. But we, 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 I feel we got an A plus on it. Um, so mm-hmm. different stages of her life, different films she worked on, different looks of the hair. Whereas we, we've seen some depictions of Marilyn before where it's always the same hairstyle all the way through. Um, she'd even change her wigs during tribute shows sometimes. She'd do at least one change. Oh, this haircut has to be with this outfit because that's what she did. Um, she was that particular about it. Um, where we uh, bent the rules a little bit uh, <laughs> was partly because of availability and budget, i.e. she does wear the dress that uh, Marilyn wears during um, uh, her Diamond Zero Girl's Best Friend number, but uh, the version of the dress that she got doesn't have the giant bow on the back. She had a very small bow. Uh, For example, um, the core hardcore Marilyn fans will definitely know what I'm talking about, including yourself. Um, We didn't have the giant bow, but you know when she's wearing this dress, okay, she Mm -hmm. she just finished doing diamonds, right? Um, Right. The the sweater she wears for the George Barris Mm -hmm. uh, photo shoot on Santa Monica Beach, those who are detail-oriented will notice a slight difference in the pattern on the sweater. But the sweater, the cut, and the overall look is identical otherwise, but there's a slight difference there. There's a little tiny things on up to... I guess this is a fairly large thing, although uh, I didn't know until after we'd shot the whole film, is that Whitey, in 1962, uh, by that point, he drove uh, a Volkswagen Beetle. Um, He didn't drive a Cadillac that we know of. But a a mint-condition, operational, vintage uh, 59 Cadillac was available to us for free. And even, I'm sure, in the 50s, in Hollywood, people kept cars for at least five years, maybe more. And I also said the car is a bit of a character on its own. It's one of those cars, as you saw in the trailer, with a great big fin on it, which everyone goes, oh, definitely 50s, right? So it, Mm -hmm. it dates the film in terms of the time period. It's iconic. It's old. It's set in an old Hollywood scenario. Um 
it sits. It, it toy, the, the car itself told the story. Where the VW Bug, it, it may have been accurate, totally accurate. He he rode one. I think it was even light blue, if I remember hearing after the fact. But the thing is, we today think of some a different era when we see VW but Beetles. We think of hippies and and flower power and all that stuff. At least I oh, do. Oh yeah. Uh, right. It's later period, even though they started making them in '55, right? So it's it, it's about it's about that iconography as well. So uh, where we deviate from and get a little creative, it fits for the storytelling, but does not destroy the integrity of what we're telling. If that makes nice. uh, if I'm clear enough on that, you know. No, that, so, that makes um, perfect sense. You know, and and just one last echo of that. I remember seeing an interview with Ron Howard well, about the making of Apollo 13, and apparently uh, Jim Lovell, one of the astronauts, never actually said, "quote unquote," Houston, we have a problem. They they called parts two pieces together from two different transmissions that he made to ground control, and they said mm-hmm. this works better. It's it summarizes it as a catchphrase. And, of course, it became their slogan, Houston, we have a problem. Um, and so that's an example. And I remember Ron saying, you know, this is storytelling. We're still accurate, but we're kind of shaping it a little differently because it makes better sense dramatically. And as long as people oh, sure. are willing to flow with that and go, hey, the heart and soul and at least 98% of the facts are correct in this, you know, and we, we were successful with that, definitely. So I guess it, this is what I'd like you to do to give to your listening audience, of course, without giving too much away. They certainly want a, a short synopsis of what Reliving Maryland is about. And my one question beyond that is, do you think um, not only do you feel that your film, does it? do you believe that it shows the strength of the starlet herself? I oftentimes get frustrated because I watch movies that make her look very weak or very um, desperate. So I'm curious, do you feel that you've accomplished that? Have you made her look stronger um you know obviously anybody who idolizes her already idolizes her but i mean was that important to you to show a stronger side of her and more importantly if she were here today do you think she would like what you've done um i think she would like what we've Mm -hmm. done um perhaps even love it um Mm -hmm. and i do believe that we are successful in showing I mean, it depends on how you define strength. Uh, yes, um, maybe not blatantly um, in certain scenes, but definitely it's there. Uh, mm-hmm. a strength to, we feel she had, um, given given some of the research we've read about her and things that she said to people earlier in her life and in journals she kept and so on, that she she kind of, it seems that she knew what her fate was, although she couldn't maybe say when. Um, but it, she seemed to have almost a, um, I'm going to say quasi-prophetic sense about her life. Um, sure. I know it sounds a little bit hokey to say that, but it, 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 there seems to be that sort of a, a thread in some of her poetry as well and so on. Um, I, this isn't really going to spoil anything, but we, we echo... Uh, a poem that she wrote um, we echo that in a scene in the film um, 
which is based in something Gary Vitaka Robles told us, but we reframed it in a different scenario um, in Banff, Alberta. And that is, she wrote a poem about a cobweb. And based, I'm paraphrasing here, that the, the cobweb was at one, at one moment very, very um, uh, delicate, and yet at the same time so strong. Okay, and, and, and that really in a lot of ways is a metaphor for her. Uh, she was very much at the mercy to of a lot of forces, again, like maybe a lot of people on the earth, but particularly her mm-hmm. in this case. Um, she was at the mercy of those forces and yet so strong. A cobweb is, I think they've analyzed the material of a cobweb and it's like, I don't know, like stronger than steel in relation to what it's actually doing and able to do. Right. So it's, um, it's, so yes, we do, we do talk about her strength and her, her insecurities, not so much desperation, but her insecurities, um, And I'm happy to tell you there is no pill popping in this movie. There, um, that's that is a that is a contentious thing with a lot of people who are Maryland experts and or uh, fans. Um, that oh, Maryland had a pill problem. She had some medications that were prescribed to her, which are contentious, and that's another that's almost another four hour conversation on that. I won't go into right. Um, mm-hmm. But the one thing she did drink a lot of it was champagne. And mm-hmm. we and but very very rarely from what we found to the point of being out of control. She would be you know pleasant and happy, but she never was like completely bombed out of her mind. Uh, that, right. Uh, that I, I'm vaguely recalling that one person claims that they saw her like that at a private party, but that's one really? reference. Okay. I don't even remember. I don't even remember who it was. I think it was later later in her life too, but that's one and mm-hmm. probably hearsay. Um, for the majority of her life, it was never to that degree. It was sort of like just pleasant uh, enjoyment of, of Dom Perignon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. we, we have that's that in there. Wrong. And again, no Kennedys, only a mention of the president. That's it. Yay! <laughs> I love it, I love Yay. it, I love it. Now, Isn't it refreshing? <laughs> It is totally refreshing. And get this, yeah. this I love because I read this and I and I saw that some of the Indiegogo proceeds you actually were giving to Holly Grove, which is the orphanage that Norma Jean had gone to. That is so cool. I was like, oh yeah, my god, yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, there's a I I, I made a, primarily a, a donation myself at this point. Nice. Um, um, and uh, and we have we have actually uh, hopes and plans to work with them. Uh, sometime uh, this year uh, to uh, to work with them to uh, to raise some money for them uh, as well as for the film. So, of course, for that, <clears> that is um, now. At, yeah, that brings a big question out, which is, of course, tell us the status of where you're at in terms of. Obviously, we, I've seen the teaser trailer. There's a teaser trailer out there, folks. It's on my page and the show page, etc. But the big question being. As it stands now, what are we looking at in terms of completion, post-production, et cetera? Can you give us some kind of timeline so we know where we're standing with this? Um, we will be will be completed by uh, the end of next month, for sure. 
Um, we're that close. Uh, there's a number of reasons why we also have to be. Our, our sound editor is 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 uh, lining up some other projects soon after that. So <clears throat> he's speeding the plow and, and getting that part done. That's really all we're working on for the, primarily at the moment, finishing sound really editing. Nice. Um, okay. And then gotcha. uh, festival festival submissions will start um, uh, to to premiere it that way. Um, we're starting with Toronto. Uh, and, uh, it'd be okay. great if we get in there because uh, my mother still lives in Toronto, so I have a I have a place to stay oh, nice. to get the film in. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so awesome. So uh, awesome. so that would be that would be cool. Not not just for the film, but uh, um, and uh, we are ser- searching for a distribution deal. There are a couple of um, smaller distributors who are very interested in seeing a screener when we're ready. Um, sure, but the the main financial block there is, and this is an aspect, again, for any of your filmmaker listeners, is um, mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers don't realize that getting distribution, most of the time, there, there are always deals that can be made, but most of the time, it requires people to pony up money for errors and emissions insurance, also known as producer's insurance. Right. This is so no broadcaster will touch anything that isn't covered. Um Depending on the film and maybe who's in it, maybe a, a distributor will cover that for somebody, but then they're going to have a larger percentage of the proceeds as well to recoup that yeah. cost. And that can be anywhere from you, the lowest I've seen for North America is $3,000. Um, and that was part of like a group sort of policy with a co-producer. Uh, mm-hmm. And most are usually five to $10,000 for if you're uh, no. completely in charge of it yourself. Uh, and that's just the reality of the business. So uh, that is probably our single biggest um, uh, cost that we're facing uh, next. Uh, of course, there are a lot of new structures out there right now. Um, haven't even really mined half of them yet. Uh, that's something that I mentioned before, kind of echoing uh, all the different things in departments if you're in multiple capacities. That's one that... In an ideal world, you'd have a couple people dedicated to dealing with that while you're in production. But in our case, I've looked into it at various junctures, found it a bit more, found it a bit more. And then I got to a point where it's like, I must focus on finishing the film first. Because otherwise, uh-huh. there's too many things on the plate at once. It's a, then oh God, yeah. if you go too long with that, rotating too long for a period of time, it's fine. But if you rotate too long and do a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, I find anyway, it starts to become taxing. So then you got to kind of mm-hmm. set aside a couple things and go, okay, I know what I need to do there, but I'll have to do that in a couple of months um, right. or whatever the case may be. So that's exactly. the time management, task management. And that's very important for for filmmakers to keep in mind, I feel, to be able to be Amen. successful and actually getting it out there. Without a doubt, so, definitely. Now, you know, and my my first feature, Black oh, Coat Mob, did get dis- yeah. My first feature film, Black Coat Mob, that I mentioned earlier, did actually get distribution. It was it was limited. It was video on demand only and in Canada, but I actually was able to do that. So uh, I can I can say that I have that feather in my hat, um, hmm. and it it was quite an eye opener uh, to to deal with that process. Uh, your listeners may also want to know that uh, you ought to think today, if you're going to go video on demand or streaming, uh, make sure your budget for uh, closed captioning 
because a lot of companies oh. want to be able to offer that for for the uh, for the deaf. Um, I didn't think about are, that. Are, yeah, for the deaf, uh, so they can read the closed caption of what's. Um, I mean, for for the blind uh, description, that's a whole other level where they don't insist on that yet. But that's recording everything, of course, right? Descriptions. Um, but uh, it, it, at very least, most of them insist on closed captioning, so that uh, so that that is um, they, they they have that option for certain viewers, and that that has to ah. be an exact transcript of what is said in the film, and then it's scripted out, and then you have to have somebody create that through a program. So that's mm-hmm. something I didn't even think about. So anyway, just wanted to throw that in. Me neither. I didn't even think about that either, as a matter of fact. And since you brought it up, I don't want to forget to mention this to the listening audience, because you did Black Coat Mob in 2012, which is an hour and 12-minute uh, film. But then in 2013, you did Ragman, which is a 13-minute short. What I want to impose to people is, if they're listening to you, and of course, obviously, Marilyn's not done yet, can they go back anywhere and watch these other two, these other two projects that you've done? Oh, can they? Um, well, Black Coat Mob uh, currently is, uh, I, I believe it's done its run. Um, oh, okay. I, yeah, it's it's under it's being shopped around as a part of a. A lot of distributors will will package um, or catalog independent films, and they'll they, right. they distribute that way. And people just either you know they pick what they want to either sell a DVD in their stores or put on their television station in you know whatever country around the world. Um, so that's kind of where that's at right now. It's not on uh, broadcast now. Um, Ragman, okay. uh, Ragman, and Ragman Two were both sort of mm, not just for fun. We wanted to tell a good story, but we wanted to sort of uh, partner with a filmmaker locally here in Ottawa to to make them um, to to make something. Uh, neither of us had made uh, well. He had made a fair number of independent things, but I hadn't made anything for a while because Black Coat Mob was uh, re-released in 2012. Uh, I actually completed it several years earlier, and that one took a long time to get to the stage in 2012. So uh, I was itching to make something, and I'd written this short script, and uh, he modified it with a few ideas, and and we decided to make it, and, and then make the That's second cool. one. So, so nice. and that was, yeah, like I say, a little, little bit more of fun. Uh, the second one deals with... Um, what we call Remembrance Day, uh, you call it Veterans Day down in the states, um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it's uh, it. Well, there was a time when the, its importance to a lot of people was dying off, and I sort of supposed one day, what well, what if nobody cared anymore, and then we have one one veteran left who who remembers, and the story goes uh, from there. Um, nice. So it was a very very much a. a kind of a political social political statement in that one but yeah so and the last thing i want to mention is i know you do two other things that folks might want to know about first of all um do you even have time to do any kind of voice artist work because i know you've done voice or or you're capable of doing voice artist work and god knows by listening to your voice here clearly you (laughs) almost have a better voice than i do so i'm like do you still do that anymore are you still open to that or do you enjoy doing that or even time like i said do you even have time for that at this point Oh, I, I have a, I have a talent agent uh, who who submits oh, me okay. for for things that uh, that I'd be applicable for. Um, <clears throat> oddly enough, I mentioned earlier my hand acting. Uh, I did even uh, a hand modeling gig 
uh, for a commercial. <laughs> cool. Basically, my my hands are putting um, pepperoni on a pizza. <laughs> that was all I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's so um, cool. But um, uh, yeah, I am still. Uh, I haven't done a voice any voice work for quite a while. It's uh, it's a dif- even more difficult m- a market to break into. Um, but um, yeah, I've done various cartoon voices and. Uh, uh, you, you you may recognize this famous buccaneer from the high seas, savvy? Oh, uh, um, yes. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've done that mostly as a favor to friends. It's sort of a fun thing I do on the side. I cool. I dress up in that character um, yeah. uh, just in case the co- copyright owner own, is listening. The uh, that uh, <laughs> I cannot mention that, but. Uh, exactly. it's, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've done birthday parties for friends, you know, it's, hey, it's That's my cool. boy. Can you come dressed as, sure. as the captain and, and do that? And I go, sure. You know, and people get a kick out of the fact that I do the voice, you know, so, you know, awesome. why not? <laughs> of course. And yeah. we don't want to forget about, I know that you were working on a screenplay and you were going to try to turn it into a graphic novel. So is that still in progress or is that going to be something in the future? Because oh, I know that you mentioned yeah, that at that, one time. Yeah, that's uh, Gettysburg Continuum. That is uh, the the graphic novel is currently um, in development uh, through through the the partner that I had on that uh, from Ukraine cool. Comics. Um, that is uh, unknown as to when that um, uh, can can be done. It, that is also it was actually originally a screenplay, as you mentioned, uh, and I'm. Uh, interested in shopping it around either to other filmmakers or maybe one day I'll make the film myself. Um, cool. But that was always intended initially to be a film. Um, and uh, just for, for your American listeners and yourself, of course, <laughs> did you know yes. that over 50,000 Canadians fought in your civil war? No. Yes. Most I did of not. Them fought for the, most of them fought for the North because um, especially about mid-war on, so definitely after Gettysburg in 63, uh, when sure. they started imposing a draft um, because people started to see that the war was, okay, this is going on a long time and people are dying and this is not fun anymore like they thought it was at first bull run. Um, and so they started having to draft people. And those who had the money could buy a replacement and it was for $300. So, and $300 back then would be like $25,000 today in buying power. So a mm-hmm. lot of uh, American people uh, filled in for uh, rich or richer people who had the 300 bucks. They just said, oh, well, I was paid to come and take this person's place. And the U.S. Army had no problem with that. And a lot of the Canadian people wanted adventure or the money uh, mustered in southern Ontario uh, and crossed the border. A lot of them mustered and, and joined up in Buffalo. Um, a few thousand uh, fought for the Confederacy. Interestingly enough, uh, a lot of people wonder why. Well, a lot of uh, Canadians, or at that time technically British North Americans, uh, had already moved to the southern states. And as the best records we have show that they fought for the south because they were trying to protect the agrarian lifestyle. They weren't necessarily supporters of, of slavery or anything like that. They just gotcha. felt that the states had the right to have, to make their own decisions. Um, and it's about 3,000, they estimate, not a lot, but about 3,000 uh, fought for the Confederacy. 
so it's uh, I like to mention it to to Americans whenever I can. Um, no kidding. The, the other one, the other one is I'm a little bit on my small soapbox now, um, because history <laughs> is is rewritten. Uh, I've I've met Americans. A couple of them I worked on Black Oak Mob with. My composer was from the states uh, for that. Oh, I should say uh, David Obanya is from uh, New Jersey for one of the composers for Living Maryland. So, oh, cool. um, we once once again have a a American composer involved as well. But <clears throat> back in Black Oak Mob, I met a very talented, wonderful guy, well studied, and and I said, did you know that Canada fought in World War One? And he said, I didn't know that. And I showed him pictures, and he said, well, those are British doughboys, aren't they? And I said, ah, you need to know about the Commonwealth of the United Kingdom. And that is when mm-hmm. England went to war, automatically Canada, India, Australia, in particular New Zealand, all went to war with the Commonwealth because they were all part of the, the – they still very much so at that point – part of the uh, uh, British Empire. So they naturally they had all the same gear. We wore all the same things. Unless you know your specifics and your regiments, you would look at a British and Canadian soldier and not be able to tell them apart. So, uh, and we we actually lost to almost seventy thousand men uh, in World War One. World War Two, um, we we were very key in uh, aspects of the uh, uh, D Day, uh, securing um, uh, which beach was that again? Uh, I know you guys had the tough ones, um, but uh, uh, it's not gold. That uh, gold was Britain uh, and sword. I think it was. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I'll drop that one. No, but, no, no. That's okay. Um, they, they they took one one of the beaches for for the offensive, and we lost about forty thousand. So a lot less than America, but Canada was a small country at the time, population wise. So. Um, gotcha. So yeah, we're we're very much involved, and I I always like to mention it to any 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 of my fellow I should say fellow Americans, but uh, fellow human beings who happen to be Americans that uh, awesome. they, they might like to know this because we we That's share a lot cool. more common history. We share a lot more common history than than a lot of people think, and um, this is why I, I I'm Canadian. I know it, um, but I I kind of don't really. I'm not really much of a nationalist. Um, I kind of wish the border wasn't there. I kind of wish that it was one big, happy North America, um, where we could really all be, you know, country folk together. Um, because I, I, I feel a really strong uh, connection to, you know, people from anywhere. If I connect to them, I connect to them. You know, exactly. So. I agree. Yeah. Definitely. Now I'm yep. going to read off um, the different places where people can find you first off because I, I – so I'll go through the list, and then when I get done, you can let me know if I've forgotten anything. Morgan okay. has two different places that he's on Facebook. Um, he has his personal page, and I'll spell his last name for you um, <clears throat> just because – and I'm going to guess it's it's Blackburn. Did I pronounce that right? I don't want to screw it up. Yes, Blackburn, yeah. Okay, good. Which is B-L-A-C-K-B-Y-R-N-E. So he has his personal page. And, of course, the name of the movie, again, is Reliving Maryland, which has a Facebook page. Uh, Can be found on Vimeo, YouTube, LinkedIn. The Twitter handle is at Reliving Maryland. There's an IMDB profile both for Morgan himself as well as Reliving Maryland. Um, I couldn't find out. um, Now, do you have an Instagram for yourself or the film? 
for some reason I wasn't finding um, that. I no, we, we, we have a okay. Pinterest. We have Pinterest. Okay. Got it. Uh, got I don't it. I don't go on Pinterest very often because it's it was just sort ah. of um, uh, there's a, a small collection of of photos of a real Marilyn and then we have some key photos right. for from the film. Just um, okay. I go on there very rarely, but there is Pinterest. Um, we have Twitter. Okay. Yep. Uh, there is Twitter account. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Facebook. And uh, then I have my actors page, uh, Meryl, um, right. Morgan Blackburn, uh, actor, director. And uh, and then there's the Black Coat Mob. Um, and then there's Gettysburg Continuum, um, which is which is also on Twitter as well. Um, gotcha. Those are in haven't been on, on my major major focus lately, but... Uh, but I, no, I cross-promote through those sites, and uh, it may be of interest to some people as well. So, Oh, without a doubt, definitely. Um, and I don't want to forget mm-hmm. to ask you this. I was surprised. Now, at some point in time, are you going to develop an actual website for the film? Because I was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, I don't see a website. So I, I guess I didn't know if you, there was a plan to do that. <laughs> well, there, there, here, here's one of the things that you, you've, you've pointed out the um, uh, probably <laughs> in terms of social media anyway – one of the uh, the main the only things, thankfully, uh, that is been kind of shelved for now, due to the fact that excuse me, due to the fact that we um, just had too much on our plate. We started a uh, WordPress dot a WordPress dot com uh, page a while ago, but uh, there was nobody who really had the time to to update it and manage it. Uh, and then I sort of made an executive decision, and it's something one can do these days. Um, by virtue of the fact of social media, I started to realize, do we really need a page at this point? Uh, or not a page, a, um, a site. Because everything ah, is on the page. People go there for all their information. Uh, they can see the various posts on Twitter um, and photos and updates and so on there. Um, and it seemed that that was doing the job. Um, now, a site... Uh, I think that once the film is complete and can start looking at the the next phases of its journey, mm-hmm. uh, the the site can official site can be then updated with you know trailers and teasers. There's lots gotcha. of teasers on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you betcha. So yeah, so the teasers okay, aren't gotcha. as polished. I just wanted to clarify. Uh, but uh, yeah, no problem. Okay. Awesome. So the last two things we have to finish up here because I've kept you probably longer than you needed to, but it was it, it went like so fast, didn't it? I'm like, oh my god, can you believe we've been? Yeah, talking no, no, I, I'm, I'm happy to happy to Crazy, do it, happy to share. Right? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay, so the last two things I want to share before I forget is first of all, you should know this because you've done interviews before, but in about two hours or so, yep. this episode will become archived, so anybody can go back and listen to it all year round. Obviously, it'll be out there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to forget to mention this. Terry Fernanho, you know him, right? Terry F. from yep. Canada? Yep. Or mutual friends? Mm-hmm. Without him, I would not know you. He suggested to me, because he's been on my show, and we're good friends, he and I, mm. and he suggested to me, you should get to know this guy, Morgan, meaning you, which led cool. me to your wife, of course, Nadine. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, Terry, I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for bringing this <laughs> wonderful man onto my show. I appreciate it more than I can tell you. Now, the last thing I do on my yeah, show is you, to Terry. tell you what I think of you. But before I tell you what I think of you, I do not want to forget to mention this. I think I told you this already, but my film festival is in New York City in June, end of June, June 23rd to 25th. Okay. So I'm wondering how much twisting and turning, because I'm like 
really, really in love with Marilyn Monroe more than anyone in the entire earth. Well, not anyone, but what a mm-hmm. treasure, what a treat it would be for for me to to showcase this film at my festival. I would be honored if you can get it together and if you want to think about it, etc. But I'm just throwing it out there. It would be a treasure. I mean, a true mm-hmm. honor for me to do. Well, that. Um, if I may respond to to that. Um, I am very interested to discuss that with you. Um Yay. And, and and we can I like that. We definitely there's a few things I want to discuss, but yeah, absolutely. And oh, definitely. Certainly, we'll, we'll talk about that off the show, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, no, to. definitely. But I uh, I am definitely open to that. I am definitely interested. It is Yay. since we first connected on um on social media. Uh, right. I have been curious about your festival and it's, it's been <laughs> in my mind, so Absolutely. Cool. The last thing, like I said, I want to do is before I go off to my dinner here is to tell you what I think of you. And the reason I do this in the last part of my show is to let the people that are listening in get a sense of now that they've listened to, to me doing all my research, these are my impressions of you as a person and as a professional. And I think it's important that they get a, a little tiny glimpse of this. And this is also the only thing that I don't write. I don't script this part. This is all right from the cuff, right from the heart. So here it goes. These are my impressions of Morgan Blackburn. Um, First of all, you are referred by Terry. Any person that knows Terry, has worked with Terry, has been friends with Terry, automatically off the top, that tells me immediately that you're a person of great wisdom, of great wealth and heart, and of great passion and spirit. Well, he delivered 150. I looked at you, and the first thing I thought of was he scares the hell out of me. Why? Because he looks so serious. He reminded me of Steve Buscemi. Honest to God. Steve Buscemi, only Canadian. And I'm like, oh, my God, how the hell am I going to interview this person, right? I'm thinking, and then he does this film about my icon. And I'm thinking, I have to get this man on my show. I have to get this man near me. So this is what I found out while I was investigating him. He is a man of great purpose and passion, and that's the number one reason why 90% of the people get on my show. Why? Because I am a true cheerleader for anyone who is what I call a creative chameleon. You are three-way across the board writing, producing, directing. Most importantly, you surround yourself by people who have a love of independent film and independent projects, but most importantly, of taking important subject matter and bringing a big, huge, shiny spotlight on it. If it isn't for people like you, you would not be able to immortalize such a legend. You wouldn't be able to bring on screen with such purpose and such poignancy, a person who touched so many hearts and so many lives. So honestly, I'm very grateful to you that you are taking someone that I love so much, bringing her onto a screen, especially in the version of your wife. And most importantly, you have talent, I trust your ability, and you seem like a lovely individual who I am crossing my fingers. I can drag to New York City so I can be in a room and not be afraid of you anymore and be able to say you're really a kick-ass person because I totally think you're cool even though you like how I, you know the whole heavy metal thing I'm, I'm still processing that but you're awesome I have loved Some it heavy if metal. I just spent two, exactly if I just spent two hours with a guy on a Wednesday night I'm glad it was you and I'm sorry I'm so sorry Nadine I'm sorry I kept him so long but this has been wonderful, and, and truly, it's been my pleasure. And know that you can go back anytime you like to promote anything you wish, because you're wonderful. Well, well, thank you so much, Cindy, uh, for for your kind words on that. Um, sure. uh, I, it, I, I just want to respond and say I hope you don't think I look like Buscemi. Um <laughs> I look more like uh, yeah. more more but more people more people think I look like uh, Willem Dafoe, actually. Ooh, that's so go back and take a look I at like my that. photos, and you—you, you, uh, I've been waiting one day 
for somebody to make a film where they needed an actor to play Willem Dafoe's kid brother, you know, in a film, <laughs> Willem Dafoe starring, and I, he has a brother. Because everybody all my life has said, you look like Willem Dafoe. Um, and I, I adore that, that that guy's acting. He's, he's a brilliant, that brilliant awesome. actor. But, and, totally. uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, cool. thank you uh, so much. Uh, oh, you bet. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch to talk about, uh, talk oh, about a few things. And, um, sure. And uh, let's see if we can make some stuff happen. I would love that. Absolutely. We'll stay in touch. And like I said, I'll get you the information. We'll talk about the festival, the whole bit. I've got some ideas too. So we'll put our heads together and see what we can come up with. Now go enjoy your night with your wife. I'm going to go have my dinner. You go enjoy your time. Thank you for giving me so much of your time, doll. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, Cindy. You have a great night. All right, dear. You too, dear. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wasn't he wonderful and Canadian? How do you not love those Canadian people, right? Okay, so one more time, I don't want to forget to tell everybody, his name is Morgan and the last name is Blackburn. He has both a Facebook personal page as well as a actor-director page. And again, the last name is B-L-A-C-K-B-Y-R-N-E. He can be found on Vimeo, a YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest, IMDb. He has his personal page, of course, as a director and actor, as well as Reliving Marilyn, which is the film we were discussing. Uh, that has a Facebook page. Uh, Twitter is at Reliving Marilyn. IMDb page, as well as, obviously, of course, his two other films, Ragman and Black Coat Mob. Again, thanks so much to Morgan for all of the time. Nadine, for your input, I really appreciate that, and thanks so much for the work you're doing on the film. Again, tomorrow, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time, please tune in to listen to Leonardo and myself at 3 o'clock talking about his new sci-fi TV series, Cyborg. On that note, I'm going to go off to dinner and enjoy the rest of my evening watching more independent films for my film festival. Thanks so much to my listening audience. You are such a gem, and I would not have a program without you. I appreciate your support. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Take care.